Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Before I I start the message, I would love if you guys are willing, um, Phil, if you wouldn't mind, just take a few seconds to just introduce yourselves to our crew and uh, tell us a little bit about you guys and and, uh, what brought you here. You know, you don't have to speak long, but just very, very brief, just to introduce you guys to everybody. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Phil. This is my wife, Jeanette, and our dear friend, Natasha. We're from Virginia Beach. We live down there, and we have a home church there. Kind of a quiet weekend, so we thought we'd drive up here, but um, the first time up this way was when James Barron came to do his first uh, conference here, and we met the pastor, and we met some, some of you folks. I don't I remember faces and names very well, but... Um, Glad to be back. We uh, were, we call ourselves the Grace Gathering GB because uh, we, we focus on the fellowship and, and the truth that's inside of each one of us and uh, we like to express it. We to express it. Yeah. Uh, thankfulness for you guys, for your blogs. We do, we, sometimes we'll listen to two or three things all at once and we're pulling truth from everyone because we believe that everybody has eternal truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, of grace, and so if it's one spirit, that spirit will resonate and pull us together into that truth. So that's what we're here to do. Yeah, very, very cool. Thank you, Phil. Um, I have uh, Jeanette and I will email sometimes back and forth, and just staying in touch. And uh, but like Phil said, faces I've you know completely you know lost you know a long time ago, <laughs> and so when they came in, you know they said we're the uh, the uh, Virginia Beach crew, and it was just so wonderful to see. They left at six o'clock this morning to be here with us, the fellowship, and to um, again, you know, make a big deal about Jesus because that's uh, hopefully what we're all here to do. So we are in this uh, series, and again, if, if you have this Bible app, you know, get to it. It's got the notes and the verses and stuff. But we're we're looking at this series called Walking by Faith. What does living in dependency upon Jesus really look like? And the passage that we've been coming from uh, for this whole time is our passage here out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, where Paul says, For we walk by faith, not by sight, which we have all heard. I mean, you can't be much uh, in the Christian life world, you know, or even non-Christian world for a long time without hearing something like this, this verse maybe quoted or you know, maybe a song, you know, we walk by faith, you know, but what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, how do we, how do we grow in that? Because um, we're really good as Christians of making these cliches. Um, but what does that really, when you boil it down, what does it mean to walk by faith? How do we grow in that? 
And so what we've decided to do, and I don't know how long we're going to do it, but what we decided to do is to kind of take Jesus at his word where he says that all of the Old Testament is actually about him. And so we have these things in the Old Testament that you can see, tangible things, creation, Adam, Eve, Cain, uh, 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 Abel, Noah. I mean, things that you can see and touch, physical things, sight, but we're looking into them to see, okay, what is that? If Jesus is true, that it's actually all about him, what is it that lies underneath the surface? What is that really about? What is Moses really writing about? But we can't, we haven't seen it because we're just looking on the surface at these historical real events. But there's something so much more dynamic and revealing of Christ and his work and us now in him. And so we've gone through much of Genesis. In fact, we're, I think, in Genesis 37 today, and we're going to continue. Again, I don't know how long we're going to do this, but we've gone all the way to the life of Joseph. And I really wish, because I love doing it, reviewing Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Esau. But, but just for time's sake, we're not going to do that. Uh, I encourage you to check the podcast if you haven't been a part of what we've done up to this point. But we've got to this time now of, of Joseph, who is one of the most important sons of Jacob, whose name is now what? Israel. And we're going to take a look over the couple of weeks at this man, Joseph's life. Now, we're looking at it again. It's a, by sight. He's a real man. He really lived on this earth. Physical guy. But we're looking beyond that. We're looking into the spiritual. What is this actually teaching us and revealing to us about Jesus so that we don't just live by sight, but we actually learn over a lifetime to actually walk by faith and what this is really meaning deep within. Um, I think the Old Testament, and I could be wrong on this, okay, but I think the Old Testament contains within it numerous cycles of the redemption story. So if you think of like creation, it's the creation, but then you had the fall, Right. And then God promised right after the fall that one would come to restore things. So you have the cycle and then you have another cycle with Cain and Abel. Then you have another cycle or another picture of the cycle with the flood that we walked through. Then you got this longer cycle with Abraham, like, like we looked at the last several weeks. It, the cycles kind of get longer and longer and more detailed, but it's the same general cycle. Uh, Things are good, things get bad, things get really good. It's the same cycle over and over. We're going to see that in Joseph's life over the next several weeks. We see that with the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. Things are really good. When we finish Joseph, Israel, the children of Israel, really good. They're living in Goshen. They've got freedom. Things are good. But then what happens? A Pharaoh comes to power that doesn't know Joseph. And so he puts all of those Israelites into what? Slavery. Things are really bad. And they're in slavery for years and years and years. But then what does God do? He sends forth Moses. The name Moses means to draw out. So he sends to draw out to what? To draw out the children of Israel across the Red Sea into what should have been straight into the promised land. But they doubted. So things got really what? 
bad. So the cycle starts over again. They wandered in the wilderness for what? 40 years. And then they crossed over the Jordan Sea, another picture of deliverance. Jordan Sea, Jordan River. To walk, and then something awesome happens. They're in the promised land. They walk around Jericho, doing nothing but singing and walking. And the walls came tumbling down. Remember the song? Joshua. Okay. It's a great song. But then something terrible happened. And that cycle just goes over and over. This cycle, this gospel redemptive cycle, if you will, it happens over and over and over and over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. And I'm just saying, we know that, we see that, we don't, we're not dumb. Let's just, let's just mine that out some and really see how, this, how, how the depths of this not only apply to what we now have in Christ, but how it helps actually firm up our, uh, our faith, our confidence in what Jesus really has done. This is not new. This cycle has been prophesied in these people's lives over and over and over, and now it's actually come, and so we actually have what they were sort of shadows of. And so that's, we kind of start that cycle over again right now in the life of Joseph. So verse 1, 37, we're only going to look at this one chapter. I was thinking, should I do the whole life of Joseph in one Sunday? And it's like, yeah, we'll be here like 2 o'clock, so we're not going to do it. We're just going to do one chapter. Maybe we'll end a little early. Probably not. So verse 1, now Joseph, that's him too. But Jacob, that's what we're really going to talk about, lived in the land where his father, Isaac, had sojourned in the land of Canaan. Now this is modern day Israel. This is the land of Canaan. Um, these are the records of the generation of Jacob. So remember, Jacob's name became Israel. Jacob, deceiver, supplanter. He is a picture of the inner man who supplanted, who came in front of Esau, a picture of the outer man by revelation. We looked at that two weeks ago. These are the records of the generations of this Isaac, uh, this, this Jacob, whose name is Israel. Joseph... When he was 17 years of age, was pasturing in the, the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, 17 years old, along with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah. Those are his half-brothers. Remember, Jacob, Israel, had four wives, Leah, Rachel, Zilpah, uh, Billah, and Zilpah. And all of them together, there's 12 sons, the 12 tribes. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to the father. We don't know the content of that bad report, but the word bad, it means evil, deceitful. So they did something, we don't know what it is, and they came back, he came back and kind of like, you know, tattletailed. He's the youngest, second to youngest. He's like, this is what the brothers, your sons are doing. Um, Jacob, uh, sort of, I mean, gosh, I'm, I told you, I'm gonna keep saying Jacob, I mean Joseph. He was sort of a tattletale. He's the, one of the youngest. Uh, just like our youngest loves to tattle on the older, her older brother and sister. Now, who is Joseph's mom? Does anybody remember that from last week? Who is Joseph's mom? Rachel. Okay. Which of the four wives did jo- Jacob really want, really love? Rachel. So Rachel, whose name means, oh, this is for the cake. No, that was that was uh, Leah. Worn out, tired, but no, that was Rebecca. Ra- uh, Re- Rebecca, to join. It has to do. Remember Rachel? Rachel, lamb, you lamb. 
I think it's a ewe, a ewe lamb, a ewe sheep, that's a female sheep, I think. It means a, a precious lamb. So Jacob had his eyes on Rachel. He worked for seven years for her, and then he was deceived, remember? And so he ended up still having her as his wife, but she couldn't have kids until the very end. The last two sons to Jake, Jacob were born by Rachel, and it was Joseph, and then we looked at them, them last week, the Benjamin, who was first Benoni, which means son of sorrow, and the father changed his name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. A beautiful picture of Jesus. We talked about that last week. Check out the podcast. So Joseph, the oldest son of his favorite wife, brings a bad report about the other brothers. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all the other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a varicolored tunic. We've heard this story since we were a kid, the coat of many colors. It has the King James says it. But would I burst everybody's bubble if I were to tell you that the Hebrew actually isn't about a color? It actually just simply means in Hebrew that the tunic, the coat, went all the way down to his hands and to his feet. Nothing about color. Does that burst bubbles? Do, we want, do I want to erase that from your memory? So if I... Yeah, sorry, if I destroyed your vision of, of, the, of, the, of the coloring books, you know, from when we were kids, I'm sorry. But it doesn't have to do with color. It just simply means um, it reached all the way to his hands and to his feet. Why King James translated it as color, I don't know. And this is a new, new American standard, and it kind of kept that tradition. I'm not really sure, but there you go. The point is, he was very special. Why was he special? Because he was the firstborn of Rachel's, his most favorite wife, the one he loved the most. And so Joseph, being the firstborn of his favorite wife, Joseph becomes his favorite son. He loved him more than all the other sons. And so he gave them a robe. Think of, and I don't want to use like capital R royalty, like, you know, they're kings and queens or whatever, but like think of that sort of honor. He honored Joseph by giving him this robe that none of the other, and maybe it had different colors, but it was at least to his wrists and to his feet. And so none of the other sons had anything special like this, according to what the scripture teaches. We don't know of anything else that was special. Reuben was the oldest, but Reuben, the scripture doesn't say that he had a tunic like this. So this is very, very special to Joseph. He was special to Israel. I or April, we could not get away with doing something like this in our house. If we give one kid something, we've got two other kids like little piranhas waiting, you know, for theirs. It, it is, it is, it won't, doesn't fly in our household. And I don't know if it does in yours or not, but it does not fly in ours to, to give something extra to the one without the others ready to get theirs. But I want to see, I want us to see What's developing here? A father loves a son more than anything else. Do we see that picture? Are we starting to develop something here? Now, does that mean he didn't love the other sons? No, that's not what he's saying. But a father loved the son more than he loved anything else. And I think that is a beautiful, and we'll see it develop clearer and clearer through the life of Joseph. But I think we're seeing an awesome picture, a shadow of the Father, and if we could have that in writing, that'd be a capital F, who loved his son and loves more than anything else.
Um, so his brothers, okay, so what does this do to the brothers? Joseph, he's the second to youngest, oldest of Rachel's, but the second to youngest. He's kid number 11. Kid number 11 has never gotten something new, right? Rachel, how many? 15? 15. And you're number what? 10. So did you ever get anything new? You did sometimes? All right. Well, you just ruined my illustration. Um, <laughs> but typically, typically, you had 10 brothers and sisters who had those sneakers before you had them. You know what I mean? Like, they're, it's so rare, apparently Rachel breaks the mold, to, to, have, to be that low on the totem pole of birth order and, get, and have something so special that no one else has had before you. Uh, there you go. Hand-me-downs, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. Riesland's never gotten anything new, I don't think. It's from us, at least. Oh, I remember Gwen wearing that. I remember Gwen wearing that. I remember Gwen wearing that. Um, so his brothers, remember, the, t- the ten older and the one younger, Benjamin, they saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. The Hebrew, literally, they could not be peaceable with him. There was no peace in the house. Um, We're starting to see, I think, a picture here developing of, we'll see the word, the J word in a second of jealousy, but where, where the father has a son and because of his love for that son, those around begin to hate the son. Do we see that somewhere in the Gospels? Now, we don't know how old these other brothers are at this point in time, but if Joseph was 17 and he was number 11, then theoretically Reuben and Judah and the older boys, they could be in their 30s to 40, perhaps. So these aren't like little kids, like nipping at your ankle, wanting, you know, a bite of the donut because that one got the bite of the donut. I mean, these are grown men who are not able to handle their hatred because of the love that the father is giving towards the one son. Um, Here's a good point if you want to write something down. If you are unsure of the father, capital F, of the father's love towards you, it doesn't matter how old you are. It gravely affects you. If you are unsure of the Father's love for you, it doesn't matter how old you are, it will gravely affect you. And I'm not talking about your earthly father, though that's true too, but the heavenly Father. Paul's whole imploring to the Ephesians is that you may be rooted in his love for you. So this one, okay, let's follow the story here. Let's follow the history He's already loved most because he has this perhaps colored coat, but it's certainly to his arms and to his feet. And then he has a dream. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his dream to his brothers, they what? They hated him even more. Now, before we read the dream, I mean, I really want us to be thinking not just of Joseph and his brothers. I want us to be thinking about Jesus because all of this is about Jesus. When Jesus would say things to his quote unquote brothers, he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. 
when he said things to his brothers like, tear this temple down and in three days I will rise it back up again. Were they like, oh, that's what I was waiting to hear, Jesus. That makes my day. No, they picked up stones and hated him even more as he revealed the, quote, dreams, the the future of what's going to happen to him. Do we see this? So they hated him even more. Well, what's the dream? Well, verse 6. Then he said to them, here's the dream. Please listen to this dream which I have had. Can you control what dreams you've had? I'm not a dreamologist, but I don't think so. Now, can you control telling other people about the dreams that you've had? Yes, you can. (laughs) Right? So it's not so much that he had these dreams. I think it's the fact that he's like wearing his long coat, walking around and telling the dreams. Right? So here we go. Here's the dreams that he had. And we're familiar with these dreams. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Now, any of you been out binding sheaves lately in the field? So basically for us city folk, it's there. The, you, you've been binding sheaves? You, hay, yeah. So you, they cut the hay, right? And then they, before they come to collect it, they didn't have uh, turbines or whatever those things are. They would actually gather some up in their arms and they would wrap maybe a cord around it and it would lay there and they'd go over and they'd bind some more up and they'd wrap it so that they could come through maybe with the wagon or, you know, with, you know, the John Deere and they throw it all on the tractor <laughs> and off they go. So it's just a part of the process. So that, so that they do every day, common stuff, nothing special. They've been binding sheaves probably since they were four years old. They were binding sheaves, and lo, my sheaf rose up. So the one that he was binding, it was laying there on the ground, just as they always do. The one that Joseph had just bound and was laying down, it stood up. A sheaf stood up. And it also stood, it rose up and it stood erect, standing tall. And behold, your sheaves, the ones that you guys, you brothers, bound up, gathered around, now look at this, and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, we don't have to, you know, consult a divineer, you know, to figure out, like, what, what does this mean? It's pretty clear. Joseph, his dream is that he will be greater than all the other brothers. They're going to bow down to, to him. Well, it didn't take the brothers long to figure that out either. Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? That's clearly what the dream was about. You're going to reign over us. You're going to rule over us. You're going to lord over us. Or are you really going to rule over us? They're they're like, how this, look at sight, Joseph. You're not even second born. You're not even third born. You're 11th born. There's no scripture that says, and to my 11th born son. No, you're crazy, Joseph. So they hated him even more. Look, this is big. I should have made this red. I don't think I did anything red. Sorry. For his dreams. They hated him for his dreams. But again, can you control your dreams? It's not so much the dreams, I don't think. Maybe. And for his words. Because he told them the dream. Joseph told his brothers what had been revealed to him. This is big because this is like the whole point of today's message. Something was revealed to Joseph, but it remained concealed to the brothers. They couldn't see it. It was revealed to him in a dream. 
but it remained concealed to them, blind. And Joseph was willing, whether it was proper motives, whether it was he's trying to be a burr under their saddle, I don't know what the motive are. I don't think that really matters. But what does matter is that Joseph was willing to speak what was revealed to him, even though it was still concealed to the brothers. Does that make sense? We all together? That's a, that's, if you're 17 and your oldest brother, Reuben, those guys are maybe approaching 40. They've got their own kids by this time. That takes some faith, I would say, for the 11th born to say, hey, you guys are going to actually, via this dream, bow down to me. I mean, could jo- Joseph get any more brash in his dreams? Oh, yes. He has another dream. <laughs> now he still had another dream, verse 9, and he related it or he told it to his brothers. And this is the dream. He said, lo, I still had one other dream. You thought that one was bad. Here's some more. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, it's not sheaves that we have to interpret on this one. Who's the sheaf? But this is not bowing down to my star but it's bowing down to me, Joseph says. Very clear. And so he related this, or he told this to his father and to his brothers, verse 10, and his father, Israel, rebuked him. He stopped him in his tracks. He says, wait a second, hold up. What is this dream you have had? Shall I... And your mother, the sun and the moon, and your 11 brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? Is that what you're really saying, Joseph? Now, somebody tell me, where's where's Joseph's mama? Yes. We talked about her death last week. She died giving birth to whom? Benjamin. That's why he was named Ben-Onai at first by him, son of my sorrow, Christ, a picture of Christ, sorrow, who became, through resurrection, son of my right hand, Benjamin. But Rachel is dead. And Jacob is saying, shall I end your mother, who's dead, bow down to you? That's the dream. Apparently, there is life after this place. Because he's dreaming about his dead mother bowing down to him one day. I think that's so cool. Uh, Before you to the ground. His brothers, here's the J word. It's not just anger. It's not just hatred. But now they're jealous. What's the difference? Can you be jealous and not hate somebody? Probably not. See, it progressed. It was hatred. Then it became jealousy. I don't think you can be jealous and not hate at the same time. But maybe you can hate and not be jealous. I don't know. But they started off just hating him, despising him. Now they're jealous. What's the difference between just jealousy and hatred? Jealousy is what? It spurs you to action for sure. But jealousy has the idea that you want to be that person. You want to be that. So now it's not just you, you fool for speaking all this stuff. But now it's I want to be that. I want to be that one. I want to be the one whom all the others will bow to. I want to have those dreams. I want to be a dreamer. Dream. I want dreams. How come I'm not having dreams? So the brothers were jealous, but look at this. The father kept the saying in mind. 
In other words, I hear the father, and this is Jacob Israel, right? I hear him saying, I've seen, I've seen a thing or two. Wasn't that a commercial? I've seen a thing or two, right? It's an insurance commercial. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Phil. What had Jacob seen? Jacob had seen the younger, the picture of the inner man, remember? Jacob was content to live in tents. The one content to live in a tent, the inner man, supplanted Esau, the hunter, the outdoorsman, the picture of the outer man. Joseph, uh, Jacob saw the inner man supplant the He saw the younger supplant the older. Jo- Jacob saw the sheep at the feeding trough give birth to what they saw, the sticks. Remember that? Jacob has seen a thing or two. He wrestled, like Phil said, with God. His hip was dislocated and he's walking around the rest of his life on his staff. But his name was changed from supplanter, one who is going to supplant, one who was born after that's going to come before, to now Israel, who means you did supplant. You prevailed. You have succeeded. Jacob has seen a thing or two. And so Jacob... He's not so much rejecting this. He's like, I've seen something. I I know the promise that the Lord has said that through you will be offspring. So I'm not going to. So I think Jacob is actually, he rebuked them a second ago, remember? But now he's like, hold up. Let's see what actually happens here. Um, So... um, then, okay, um, the brothers, so I don't know how much time has passed here, but this is after. His brothers went to, the past, to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel, this is Joseph, I mean Jacob, the dad, he says to Joseph, Joseph didn't go with them. Are, your, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Uh, come. And I will send you to them. And he said to them, I will go. Now, we're going to keep reading. But again, I want to pause. A father, you see this? Okay. Is saying to his son whom he loves the most, hey, there is people whom we love in a distant world, in a a distant place, Shechem, whom I'm going to send you to. You see that? I mean, can we picking up on the parallelisms here? A father sends his beloved son into a foreign place to bless, to feed, to get a report about the others. Verse four, uh, 14, when he, then he said to him, now go and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. Rings bells, doesn't it? Verse 15. I honestly have no idea what this is about. I have no revelation, if you will. If somebody else does, please feel free to speak. But A man found him. A man found Joseph as Joseph was in Shechem looking for his brothers. And behold, he, Joseph, was wandering in the field, presumably looking for his brothers. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? 
And Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have moved from here, Shechem. And I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Jacob went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. I have no honestly idea of what that might be shadowing of. And so I'm not going to provide just comment on it other than something's there hidden. It's got to be. Why else would, you know, Jesus say everything that Moses wrote is about me. So uh, then verse 18, when they saw him from a distance, they, the brothers, the 11 or probably 10 brothers, because probably uh, Benjamin is back home too, because Benjamin is the 12th son. He's even younger. When they saw Joseph from a distance, before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Okay, so again, the father sends the beloved son to a distant place to get to, 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 to be with, to talk to, to get report about the people, and the people plot to what? Kill the beloved son. I mean, can we make this up? If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for Moses was writing about me. So I don't know how long it takes from the great distance to get to where they are, but they come up with the plot. Here's the plot. They said to another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, here's the plot. Come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. Man, this sounds like the Pharisees, the religious, the Jews. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Matthew chapter whatever. Man, we're going to kill him and we're going to make sure his dreams don't come true. Verse 21, but Reuben... Reuben's the firstborn. Reuben probably had the most to lose by this dreamer because Reuben's the firstborn. He's the one who should get all that the father had. It's firstborn. But Reuben heard this and Reuben rescued Joseph out of their hands and said, let us not take their life. Reuben, does anybody remember what Reuben means? Behold a son. Behold a son stands up and says, wait a second, he is a son, so let's, let's not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood. Throw him, now that's where his like intervention stops. <laughs> uh, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might, that he might rescue him out of this hands to restore him to the father. So Reuben's plan was let's throw him in the pit. Let's don't kill anybody. I'm gathering. You can correct me so that Reuben can kind of circle back around, rescue him and take him back to the father. Reuben wants to defend Joseph. It seems like why? I don't know, but he's trying to keep Joseph from dying. So what happens? 23. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, he finally gets to them, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the multicolored 
you know, tunic that he was on, that he was wearing. Maybe it was colored, but it was at least to his arms and to his legs. Verse 24. And they took him and they threw him into the pit that Reuben was talking about. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Verse 25. They sat down to eat a meal. In the Hebrew, the word meal is literally bread. They sat down to eat bread. And they raised their eyes and look and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead. Ishmaelites. Remember, that's their grandfather's half-brother's descendants. Isaac's half-brother Ishmael, his descendants. So these Ishmaelites were coming down from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, aromatic gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to Egypt. So they were businessmen. They were taking stuff to trade in Egypt. Judah, one of the older brothers, said to his brothers, hey, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover him up with blood? In other words, we're not going to get any money out of that. But here come some businessmen, some traders who could, we could trade with and get some money. What's going to profit up? What money is in it for us if we just kill him and cover him up? He's the 11th. We're not really threatened by him. Come, uh, Judah says, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand, our hand on him. Let's don't kill him, for he is our brother, our very own flesh. And his brothers listen to him. So Reuben and Judah, they, they, they at least keep him from not dying. Verse 28. Then, now what are they doing? They're eating a what? They're eating cooking up this plan because the Ishmaelites are coming down. But here's what's crazy to me. I never knew this until this week. I never saw this until this week. Um, oops. Then some Midianite traders passed by. So they, the Midianite traders, pulled Joseph up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and the Midianite traders sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph to Egypt. What I never saw was that I always assumed, thought, from the little coloring books as a kid, I guess, that it was the brothers who sold him. The, the, what does? the New King James? Okay, so the, uh, but what are the brothers doing, according at least to the Nasby? They're eating meal. They're eating and they're plotting. And so, here, follow this, follow, follow this. Rube, 29. So Reuben returned to the pit, because remember what Reuben's plan was. We're going to get him out of the pit and take him back home. A secret. Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. He'd, and he didn't know it, is what I'm getting at. Because the Midianites had come and took him, taken him. So he tore his garments, Reuben did, because someone else took him. Reuben thought he was going to take him and save his life, but he was not there. And so he tears his garments in disgust and frustration and anger. He returned to the brothers 
and said to the brothers, the boy is not there. Now, why would he do that if they just sold him to, in slavery? The Midianites did. The boys, what's the big deal about this? The boys truly thought Joseph was, my opinion, dead. And we'll see that in a few chapters because he says to, the, to Joseph, they didn't know it was Joseph, but they say to Joseph, we are 12 brothers. One is back home, Benjamin, and one is no more. They think Joseph is dead. What's the big deal about that? Come on, come on, come on, right? The one who was dead is now second in command of all of Egypt. Only the throne, only the top seat, Pharaoh's seat, he doesn't have control over. Come on. Gosh, it's awesome. The boy is not there. As for me, where shall I go? I mean, he's tore up. He thinks he's dead. I mean, he's good as dead. So they took Joseph's tunic. Remember, they ripped that off of him. And they slaughtered a male goat. And they dipped the tunic in the blood. So if it was multicolor, it's now what? One color, red. And they sent the varicolored tunic, which is now a single color tunic, and brought it to their father and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. J- Jacob examined it and he said, this is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And I think that's the same conclusion uh, that the boys had, n- not necessarily the same order of events, right? They kind of left out some stuff, right? But they really believe he's dead. Why else would they say to, the, to Joseph later, who, who they didn't know was Joseph, we'll get to that in a few weeks, that he is no more. So Jacob, verse 34, tears his clothes and he put sackcloth on his loins and he mourned for his son for many days. His loins, obviously his midsection, he puts this rough, nasty. I actually yesterday poured water onto a, a, a charcoal fire that we did at the park and that stuff got everywhere. You know, I was not expecting that. I mean, it just went everywhere, all over me, all over the place. And it's gritty. He puts this in his, in his loins, in his midsection. Why would he do that? It's kind of strange. Well, where did Jacob come from? I mean, where did Joseph come from? Came from his loins. And so the sorrow, it's a very physical imagery of the sorrow of the fact that that which came from his loins is no more. And so the pain that he's now, the chaffing, the difficulty, just walking around is now a constant reminder physically that that which came from my loins is no more. And now pain has replaced the glory of what did come from my loins. Serious sorrow for many days. All the sons and the daughters, they tried to comfort Jacob Israel, but he refused to be comforted. Remember, he kept these things. He held on to those things. Jacob had seen too much to just dismiss those things. And so I think Jacob had some hope. He had some, and something big's going to come from this boy. Maybe this is the son of all the 12. Maybe this is the son. Joseph actually means the Lord will add. Maybe this is the one whom the Lord will use to add this, this, uh, the, the, this, come, this promise will come through. And so, uh, sure, uh, so he, doesn't, he won't be comforted. And he says, surely I will go down to Sheol, to hell, Hades, in the morning for my son. I'm going to die. 
mourning my son. There is no recovery. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, this is the last verse, okay? We're going in the, in the, to do uh, a, a cl- cliffhanger, you know? The end of Empire Strikes Back, where it's just like, okay, what's going to happen next? You know, you got to wait a whole year for the, new movie, the next movie to come out. Meanwhile, you only have to wait till next week. Actually, keep reading at home if you want. Uh, you have a copy of this thing. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So they think he's dead. They know he's dead. They're convinced he's dead because he's not in the pit where they just put him. And meanwhile, the Lord is orchestrating this amazing thing, even in death, quote unquote, where Joseph is going to suffer. He's going to suffer heavily. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be uh, uh, left for dead in the prison. But a day is going to come not three days later, like with Jesus, but some time later will come when he is elevated to a place that only the Lord could elevate him to. So let's wrap this thing up. Prophecy of the Messiah throughout the Old Testament, the prophecy of the Messiah throughout the entire Old Testament was this, throughout the minor prophets, the major prophets, the prophecy of the Messiah was that the Messiah would be a ruler. He would be Lord. He'd be deliverer. He'd be rescuer, right? When you read through the old, the minor prophets, the major prophets, when they talk about the Messiah who's coming, the government shall rest on his shoulders. I mean, some major big things. And that's why the disciples, in fact, when they were convinced that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the disciples kept on asking Jesus, is this the time when you're going to establish your kingdom? Jesus, is this the point when everything that the minor prophets said was going to happen, happens? Is this when you are going to kick out Rome and we're going to reestablish the divinic kingdom and we are going to be Israel once again with no leadership over us again? So the disciples were looking for that, hoping for that. Because that's what much of the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah was. This grand lordship ruler. But you have this one pesky little Old Testament prophet chapter called Isaiah 53. Where the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah that he would what? Suffer many things. Here's what I'm trying to get us to see a little bit. Joseph's dream was that the others would bow down. Joseph's dream was that even his father and his mother, his dead mother, would bow down to him and all of his brothers. But Joseph's dream did not include being thrown into a pit, being falsely accused, being thrown in prison for the false accusations, and eventually getting to a place of whatever, uh, lordship, if you will. The dream didn't have that part. Just like so much of the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah didn't have that part. There is the one, Isaiah 53. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of Old Testament prophets talking about the suffering Messiah. So Joseph had a clear vision of what was going to come. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks of what actually comes. But Joseph didn't see 
all that would transpire to get him there. He didn't know it. Betrayal by his own kin. Death, and I got air quotes here for the podcast listeners, because he didn't die, but he was good as dead in the pit, in the ground. The agony, the false accusation, the imprisonment, and then a, I'm going to air quote again, resurrection to being the second in command of the land. We'll see in a few weeks that just as it was unknown to Israel, Jacob, that Israel's that Israel had another son, it was unknown because they thought he was what? Dead. In the same exact way, we see the sun, the, 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 the sky splitting open, the spirit descending, and the voice from heaven saying, this is my son. In Jesus' baptism, my son whom no one knew about. No one knew I had a son. It was hidden, as Paul calls it, the mystery hidden from generations. But this mystery of the son is now being revealed. So just as Joseph was hidden because they thought he was dead and is revealed for who he is, Jesus Christ, who was hidden from generations past on the Jordan banks of the Jordan River, was revealed for who he really is. Lord over all. So where do we take this from here and go home with? Here's our journey marker. If you want to try to combine this into a simple thought to kind of think on and dwell on and meditate on throughout the week, walking by faith, because that's our deal, right? Walking by faith. How do we walk by faith? What does that look like? Here's what I'm seeing out of this one chapter, this one part of Joseph's story. We're going to look at Joseph for a couple weeks. But walking by faith is speaking what has been revealed even if it remains concealed. Walking by faith is speaking what the Lord has revealed to you, even if it has not been revealed to others. It's still concealed. The Lord spoke through the dream to Joseph, and he was willing to walk by faith to speak it to the brothers, and it had not been revealed. Is it revealed one day to the brothers? Yes, it is. It will be. But not by faith, it's by sight when they actually see Joseph as the second in command. But what Joseph does is he speaks what was revealed to him even when it was concealed to all the others. So what do you know to be true about you? What do you know to be true about you now in Christ? What has been revealed to you by the scriptures, by the spirit, by the church? What has been revealed to you? But perhaps, likely, it's still concealed to other people, even perhaps to your own self at times. Meaning, I know that the scripture says that I have been made righteous, blameless even. But can I see that? Can I look in the mirror and see that? Don't we see the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh? What I'm hearing the Spirit say is that walking by faith is continuously speaking what has been revealed, even if it remains concealed in this world. Can you see your righteousness? Can you see with your human eyeballs the perfected inner man? I mean, we can't see that with these eyeballs. It's still concealed. It's hidden. It's a treasure inside of a weak earthen vessel. 
So walking by faith is having the boldness to speak what's been revealed to the Spirit, but it's still concealed to this world. Do you see that? In fact, if it was not concealed to this world or even to your human mind, if it was not still hidden, then it wouldn't be faith. Because faith is going to disappear one day. Paul says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Why? Because one day there will be no more faith. One day there will be no more hope. Because we will see perfectly what is, but we don't. It's still concealed. So walking by faith is being willing to speak to ourselves, to each other, what has been revealed to us in the Spirit. So what has been revealed? God's love for you has been revealed to you. It's being revealed to you. Are we willing to speak to ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves and to others, what has been revealed about God's love for us, even though it remains concealed? Why would he do that? Why would he love us that way? How about forgiveness of your sins? Can you see the forgiveness of your sins? I mean, we see with our eyeballs, we see the sins. We see the filth. We see the poor consequences, the poor judgment, the poor decisions. But are we willing to speak what's been revealed that I have been forgiven of all of my sins, even if it remains concealed to this world? What about the crucifixion of the old you? Can you see that? Can can you put that? Can you take a picture of that and hang it on your refrigerator? The crucifixion of the old you? You can't, can you? It's concealed. It's, it's, It's not visible in this realm. But are you willing to speak what's been revealed that you have died? That's walking by faith. I have died. I've been crucified with Christ. What about the creation of a new you? I mean, are we really willing to believe that I have been created from the lawns of God himself, a new man, a new woman? It's not, it's not, that's not revealed in this world. It's still concealed. But has it been revealed to you? Do you know these things to be true, to be (laughs) self-evident? As our framer said, well, let's speak what's been revealed. That's faith, speaking what has been revealed, even though it remains concealed. What about placing you as his own son or daughter? What about making you as clean and as righteous as he is? Do you believe that? That you, by death, burial, and resurrection, have been actually made as clean and as righteous as God himself is? That's the hidden We don't see that in the mirror. But if it's been revealed to you, then we must speak it because it's truth. And walking by that faith, walking by that truth is being willing to speak things that are revealed to us but might be still concealed. Things that sound a little funny, like you're married to Jesus. Say that in the, you know, next Uber ride that you're on. They're going to kick you out of the Prius or whatever. God placing you. How about this? God placing you in him and you, him placing you, you. God placing you in him and him placing him in you. You know that to be true. But that's concealed. It's hidden. So walking by faith like Joseph is speaking what's been revealed but it remains concealed. This is what's been revealed and so much more, but yet it's still 
concealed in this world. We can't see it. We can't touch it. And most of the time, I'll be honest, we can't even feel it. We can't feel many of these things that are, but we can speak it. And it's not speaking so that it becomes something, right? I reject that personally. What is it called? Glab and grab or something like that? Like, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. And we're not speaking something so that it becomes. We're speaking something that what? Is. Walking by faith is speaking what has been revealed, even though it remains concealed. Now, oh, I lost my last page because there was some good stuff on that one. Joseph, he spoke what was revealed to him, the dream. How did it turn out for him in the, in the short term? Not too good. He suffered many things at the hands of his own brothers. Jesus spoke what was revealed to him. And he what? Suffered in the short term. A greater glory, sure. But in the short term, there was consequences that he suffered. Likely, here's my prophetic statement of the day. If you speak what has been revealed to you of who you truly are in Christ... And yet it's something that's been concealed to others, to the religious especially. Likely you will also suffer. I'm not thinking you're going to be thrown into a pit, you know, or sold into slavery. But it's very likely that you too will be disfellowshipped, will be rejected. But look at your company. Joseph, Jesus, I'll take that company. The question is, are we willing to walk by faith by speaking what has been revealed to us, even if it remains concealed to others? We speak it to ourselves. We speak it to others, each other, and others speaking it to us to strengthen us, to mature us. If we only speak that which no longer is concealed, then are we even engaging in faith? If we speak only that which can be seen, no, we're engaging in sight and we are not called to walk by sight, but by faith. And that's hard because we go off of what we see with our eyeballs. So it's natural, but this is something supernatural. And we're going to continue on with Joseph's life in Egypt next week and the next couple of weeks, but um, hopefully we're seeing, namely, macro level, this is about Jesus. A father sending a son into a far off place and that son suffering at the hands of his kin. Right? And we'll get into the rest of it. But in a personal sense, I'm hoping we're seeing something very practical and personal that we, we, we can. We know the re- reaction, probably, but we can speak what is revealed to us even if it's not revealed to others. They may look at a, I, I call, you guys know the story, but I called Tim, uh, Tom Lyrit, Tom, if you're listening, I'm so sorry, but I called him a fool and idiot for years when he tried to tell me when I was in high school that, Walt, you don't have to confess your sins every day in order to be forgiven. You are forgiven. I called him an idiot. Because I was like 16, 17, 18 years of age until the age of 31 when the Holy Spirit said, hey, Walt, come on, come on. You're really going to bank your forgiveness, your cleanness on your memory and on your ability to speak sins. And the Lord did a good work in my life that day in 2012. So 
Sometimes it's not clear to us at times. But what has been revealed to us, walking by faith, is speaking it, even if it remains concealed to others. So, uh, that's all I've got. Is there anybody that has maybe a word of encouragement, a thought? Yeah, Je- uh, Derek? Um, I just wanted to mention a couple of other things that, um, that I, I just left out to me, I guess. Um, when they threw uh, Joseph into the pit, it mentions that the pit was empty and that there was no water in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, frequently in the Bible, water is a representation of God and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So Joseph being thrown into the pit is a very mm-hmm. vivid representation of him dying and being separated from God right. for three days. Right. My God, um, my God, why have you forsaken me? And also yeah. uh, that the Midianite traders passed by and took Joseph. Right. Is, um, kind of a representation of the fact that the Israelites weren't the ones who killed mm-hmm. whatever um, yeah. Jesus. It was the Romans. Yeah. Who were, I was thinking about that too. Yeah. 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 Or, and even, even the scripture says that, that in the Old Testament that it pleased the father to crush the son. So it was ultimately, yes, the Romans, the, the Israelites, but the sentence because Jesus became our sin, this judgment, the verdict was from the Father yeah. against the Son, which is goes along with what you're saying too. It wasn't the boys; it was another power, you know. That that yeah. yeah. You're right. I want to speak to that point. The yeah. Midianites versus the Ishmaelites. Yeah. Because if you go farther ahead, so it says, when it talks about the Ishmaelites. They sold it to the Ishmaelites, so that they is kind of ambiguous in that sentence. And then, but then you go on, and it says the Midianites sold him to Potiphar. But then, who did they sell the Ishmaelite? But he was sold to the Ishmaelites. If you go even farther ahead, it said when it doubles back, because there's some stuff that happens in between there, and then mm-hmm. gets back to the story of Joseph. It says that Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites. When earlier it said that the Midianites had sold him to Potiphar. Hmm. So I think the. I think in this case, actually, the more traditional understanding of his brothers selling them to them is correct because it appears that these two people groups are being interchanged. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Interchanged with each other because the Ishmaelites are obviously descendants of Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Midian was a son of Abraham, so it could be people of that son, but it says Ishmaelites. Midian was also a place, so Midianites right. could be people from that place. So I think it would be most correct based on all the passages to say that they were Ishmaelites from Midian. And oh, okay. the two were right. The same group. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's, yeah, that's the, 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 bigger, the bigger point that I think is definitely necessary, personally, is that the boys, at least Reuben, I mean, Reuben thought he was dead. Yeah, Reuben was off somewhere so, else, yeah. obviously. So, the rest of his brothers. But, but, but I think they all thought they were dead. He was dead. Because when they give report to Joseph many, many years later, one is no more. And um, so the picture of the son that died is now the son that has been elevated, I think, remains, regardless. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's really it's, cool. It's, yeah, it's, no, like, that's it's, awesome. It's beside the main point. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> but that's good. That's good. Uh, good word. Yeah, yes, sir. Two other very obvious parallels that uh, I was aware of before is that uh, Midianites or Ishmaelites were bringing gum, uh, basically two types of incense and myrrh, which yeah. is a bit of root yeah. used for uh, basically embalming. Yeah. Um, and the three gifts that the wise men from the east. Now, Gilead is to the east of where they would have been in Dothan. Mm-hmm. Um, is also to the east. So it's a oh, okay. picture of the, hmm. the, the wise men coming. Yeah, that's with cool. With three gifts. Yeah. 
that they gave to Jesus also to go to Egypt. Right. The destination of those gifts were Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. And the prophecy is out of Egypt, I will raise my son. So there is a, um, so Jesus going to Egypt because of Herod wasn't just, uh, hey, quick audible. I mean, this is all part of the plan. It's just beautiful. How can the same boy be from Egypt and from Nazareth? Nazareth? Because the prophecy also is that he's going to be, and born in Bethlehem. I mean, who, 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 could be, who could be in three places? Yeah. So it's just, it's just amazing, the wisdom of God. Yeah. Right. Right. To represent death and embalming. Or in the Egyptian, Egyptology, it's one of the necessary ingredients to bring them to the afterlife. Oh, huh. Wow. Cool. But the gum and the whatnot are insufficient in comparison to the myrrh and frankincense. Right. The golden frankincense. To cover up the... Frankincense is used to cover up the smell of death. Okay. And the gold is representation of wealth. Royalty, yeah. Gum is a common... Yeah. But that's but that is pretty spectacular. Just the I mean, I just in awe of the wisdom, you know, of the Lord. Yes, sir. Um, no, I guess like one thing that he did that really talks to the depth of their jealousy. I think is. Um, his wanting to go back after his brothers. He wasn't willing to say all that to his brothers, what he was going to be doing. I kind of think he maybe wanted to elevate himself back up to his father. Like, oh. You know. So, Daddy, look what I did. Look what I've done. I, yeah. I saved your favorite son. Yeah. Hmm. Can I be your maybe second favorite son? <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So maybe his motives weren't necessarily honorable, though the act was honorable. Yeah. Hmm. That's a great... Great thought. I don't know. Yeah. Which is also another representation of the Pharisees. Yeah. Basically, right. their actions are are supposedly according to the law. The law. But their um, heart, heart is, is completely whitewashed tombs. tombs. I think Jesus yeah. called them. And yeah, Phil. I don't know if the Ishmaelites were the same as uh, Midianites. Midianites. If they were not, then another interesting parallel is that they saw the Ishmaelites coming, but did not see. The Midianites coming. coming. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And just as Herod didn't see, which actually Herod, if you follow the genealogy, would have been back Ishmaelite mm. chain, um, because he was related to the Jews but not Jewish. Mm. Okay. Um, but the the three wise men or the wise men, three year thirteen hundred, if you remember, right. um, came in and they were not known of. Herod, yeah, either. right. They came in and took, you know, enabled Jesus to get they, away. They yeah. saw, as well. right, yeah. So the Midianites were yeah. the same as the Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So cool, yeah. That, but but the, point, the point of they came in secrecy. It Herod took them away without the brothers knowing about it. Yeah. Just as wow. Jesus was, yeah. was taken away without Herod, Herod knowing, about knowing about it. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's cool. Give me uh, six. I was almost seeing Reuben as kind of bit of a parallel to Nicodemus as well. Because okay. Nicodemus was the Pharisee who actually believed Jesus and came to him by night without the knowledge of his, yeah. the other yeah. Israelites. Oh, that's great. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Sweet, yeah. You had mentioned the, the idea of Joseph having a garment that was, as I understand now, is totally covered him. Mm-hmm. And if the fall, as a result of the fall, people closed and 
So I'm thinking the more clothed and covered you were, the more righteous you would appear. That's, yeah. And so, so that, if that was true in their day, they were like, you think you're so good or so clean. And wow. what, what is more despicable to unbelievers uh, than one to claim to be righteous, even as righteous as God through Christ? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and in that way, the par- I see a parallel yeah. there. Of, yeah, sure. Of him being despised. You yeah. So oh, yeah. And, right, that's and, good. And, and yeah, we think, but the world doesn't understand yeah. that our reference is not law, but... Yeah. But, but in the, but, the goodness of God, yeah. the grace of God. And it was, it was, and, and Joseph didn't make the coat for himself. It was given from the father. Yeah. yeah. And then I have to think also the idea of bowing mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a new way. Um, I used to think of the others bowing when somebody bows to you that when they bow, I'm still their Lord, but when they bow, they actually become parallel to him. Hmm. And so it's not that, that he is righteous. When we bow to that which is, we become righteous hmm. like God. And then when our fellow man yeah. bows to us, if we have faith and they don't, not every knee and every tongue shall confess right. will bow. Yeah. And, 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 and so it's almost kind of like a submission, like like a un, like as we were uh, uh, un, when we were unbelievers. We, we were, uh, as we say, un, uncompa- incompatible with the Lord. But then when we, quote, bowed to him, we, 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 the, the expression of faith and that we stood up, if you will, after that bowing as now righteous as he. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Thank you for your question about what was the purpose of, the, of him having to go to another person when he couldn't find them. Yeah, the man that was standing there. Perhaps it was to remind him, this person also will bow to me. Or the significant, I had to think of Paul's uh, way to Damascus. Somebody will tell you further along the way. And an ice, yeah. If you think you have something that the rest of the world, and then also the idea of the mother, um, or Rachel having died, right. she also will bow. Right. And, and then I just had to think of how, and that stretches me to honor God will bring and cause every need to bow to himself, yeah. I guess, in due time. Yeah. And it's not limited to, I guess, like you, you pointed out, she was dead. Yeah. And and, I, and he saw her as bowing right. her coming. To yeah. Her yeah. It's very, it's so, it's a, uh, Layers upon layers, you know, it's amazing. And we we would be fools to think, hey, we've got this one figured out, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? So we just keep pressing in and trusting and not, not, again, the point isn't so that we could win the prize at the next Bible trivia, you know, exercise, but so that the life of Christ within is being revealed to us and manifest to us that we end up walking as we already are, for we are as he is now in this world. So let's walk like it as we're seeing more and more of, man, this isn't some sort of quick little thing that happened in a couple of books in the New Testament. I mean, this has been going on for generations, hidden, 
but now being revealed. And it strengthens, at least for me, it strengthens my confidence. It strengthens my conviction of, of, of what God has done and what he's done to me and for me. It's just cool. I don't know any better way to say it. Anything else? When I was looking at the word, because I was thinking about the guy that told him to go to Dothan. Mm-hmm. And I looked up the word Dothan. Yeah. Hebrew it means to, law. Oh, law? Yeah. Okay. Law. So I was thinking like, you know, with Christ, he's now the mediator. Mm-hmm. Because there was that division. Law divides you from the Father. Right. And I guess I saw the man as being like a mediator. Okay. He told him to hmm. go to Dothan, but... Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think there's something there. Yeah. Well, Shechem means back and shoulder. And yeah. Yeah. So they told him to go to Shechem first, and then he ran into the guy. Yeah. Which I just thought it was like an intervention. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Jesus was sent. To minister to the Jews who were bound into the law, and John the Baptist was the wilderness dude who was making a way for the Lord. And the initiation of Christ's ministry to the Jews was running into John, where John is saying, "Well, here's the sin of the here's the lamb yeah. who's going to take away the sin of the world." Exactly. And John had been saying, "Hey, repent, change your mind. Yeah. Wow, things are about yeah. to change." So God, God sent Jesus. There's a dude out in the wilderness doing his thing, pointing Jesus now to these <laughs> Israelites who were under the law. Is that? Wait. Jeez. Yeah. 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 Man. Wow. I could be wrong, but I kept yeah. thinking John the whole time until she said that. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that finger's going up. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. And let us, in all of it, the point, I, I, I will always emphasize, it's about, if, if it's not promoting and elevating the Son of Man, then it is not a valid interpretation, right? It has to be about Jesus. And we might be wrong. I mean, it might have nothing to do, but I mean, it bears witness to me, maybe not to others, but, but if it, if it, if it bears witness of the elevation of Jesus Christ, his work, what he's done to us, etc., then, hey, I'm in, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Two other just thoughts. Um, the well being without water, Sheol is a picture of the not having life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, water represents life. Right. So uh, the descent, obviously, yes. is a picture of Sheol, a place that is destitute and dry. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that struck me is that the robe, and there's a mystery here I haven't discerned yet, but multicolored robe or a robe of long garments. Jesus was also clothed in an extraordinary robe of the time, and that is a robe of one piece, mm. okay, which is a long flowing robe that was made out of one piece of linen. That's why it was so valuable. It wasn't a piecemeal robe, mm. okay, that the Romans took it off him, right. bloody, because he had already been scourged mm-hmm. and, you know, Put yeah. The on his head, yeah. Right. Right. Off, it off him at the cross and rent it. Yeah. Okay. Just like they did. Jesus, just yeah. Like they had to do as a representation yeah. for, hmm. for the Father. Say, yeah. This is right a sacrifice. This yeah. Is a sacrifice. And it wasn't a a, a a a a ram or whatever it was. I forget now. That was whose blood was shed. Right. It was the Christ Himself whose blood was on His own robe, and um, 
which ended up tearing a bigger robe, if you will, the veil between the, the Holy of Holies and the outers, showing it's finished. It's done. It's amazing. Yeah, sure, yeah. It's not just about a colored full robe that you color in, in Sunday school. I mean, there's something powerful to it. Amen. Awesome. Anything else? For the order of the good and good of the order? Sweet. I don't know about you guys, man, but this is just fun. It's exciting. And, um, you know, I love how James Barron, he says, you know, if you walk out of a church service and you're like, you know, what, but what was the practical how-to this or that? He's like, what's practical about walking on water? Like the seven steps to practice walking on water? Like it's a, it's a mystery that must be revealed in the heart, in the new man. And as that happens, we live by it. We grow by it. It's not the seven steps to divide your food to feed 5,000. It's, it's what is this about? What is this? Who is this? And we feed off of him. You are going to say something? Um, don't say, um, you said at the end, um, this is all I have. <laughs> yeah. All you have is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Thank you, buddy. Well, let's stand and be close with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning, for this time to just feed off of you, feed from you, eat of Christ himself who is our life. And i just uh, so thankful for Phil and the time that these amazing ladies spent driving up here this morning to be with us. I pray that you would protect them, keep them safe as they, I assume, head back home this afternoon or wherever they head. What a spectacular opportunity to fellowship with them. We pray, Father, that you would continue to make known to us the mystery of Christ. And as Paul says, the weightiness, the riches of this glory, the the spectacularness of it all is that Christ himself, the mystery, is now in us. He is our hope of glory. So, Father, we just walk around this world with the reality of Christ in us. It's been revealed to us. Let us walk by faith and speak it. For we have no idea whose ear will hear whom you are revealing Christ to. We have no idea. So let us speak what's been revealed. We might suffer, sure. We might be rejected, but I don't think we're going to be crucified. I don't even think we're going to be thrown into a pit. We may, but... It's okay, because we know what is. So, Father, we thank you so much. We love you, but we're so glad you love us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.